Hello, welcome to the Churchology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holmes, and today on the show, we are talking to David Swanson. David's the founding pastor of New Community Covenant Church, a multiracial congregation on the south side of Chicago, and he also serves as the CEO of New Community Outreach, a nonprofit organization working to reduce causes of trauma and raise opportunities for equity in Chicago. We're talking to David about his new book, Rediscipling the White Church, From Cheap Diversity to True Solidarity. And I'm excited to share this episode with you. But before we jump in, I want to ask you if you would share today's episode on social media. So wherever you are on social media, go ahead and click the share button, share this with your followers, let everybody know about the Churchology podcast so that they can jump into the conversation. So go ahead, share it wherever you are. And thanks so much for listening. Thanks for sharing. And so let's jump right in to our conversation with David Swanson on this week's episode of the Churchology Podcast. All right, today on the show, we have David Swanson. David, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mark. Great. David is the author of the book, uh, Discipling, the Rediscipling the White Church. And David, I would love to hear, uh, share it with our audience, maybe some of your story, uh, the church that you're a part of, and, and the work that you're doing. Yeah, well, hey, thanks for having me. I pastor a church here on the south side of Chicago, uh, which if folks don't know is a majority African-American side of, of, our, of our city, intentionally multiracial congregation. We, we planted it a little over 10 years ago. And um, of course, we haven't seen each other a, a whole lot in person, unfortunately, uh, over this time. The, the virus has hit Chicago pretty hard, so we're all being pretty cautious as we, we seek to take care of each other. But uh, yeah, ours, so ours is an intentionally multiracial church. We, we believe that one of the ways that we can demonstrate the power of the gospel is in how we uh, kind of live across these lines of you know, cultural segregation and, uh, and, and, and whatnot. Um, so it's not easy. It's messy. Uh, uh, it's confusing at times, but uh, it's a beautiful community, and I, I'm really glad I get to be a part of it. Yeah. And so, so David, your book, like we said, Rediscipling the White Church, in your book, uh, you say that segregation in white Christianity is not first a diversity problem, mm. it's a discipleship problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so as you look at the, at the church right now in this present moment, what are some of the things that you think has been discipling the church, maybe mm. that we haven't even been aware of? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I love that question. I, I think that we as, as Christians and those of us who are ministry leaders, we think about this sort of thing all the time, right? Like we are aware that we don't live in the consummated kingdom of God, right? We, we know that Jesus brought the kingdom near uh, and yet uh, sin is still a reality. Uh, rebellion against God is still a reality. And so, uh, you know, oftentimes we're on the lookout for those those things in our world that are pulling us away from God's will, uh, pulling us away from an expression of the kingdom of God. And uh, I, in my experience, though, white Christians have generally not been aware of how our racialized society has, has done that sort of discipling work on us. Uh, the way that our, our uh, culture, um, you know, uh, uh, introduces certain uh, ideas uh, related to to race or racial hierarchy, um, the the ways in which we we come to assume that 
kind of how we see the world around us in its racial stratification and segregation is is normal and, and how we then bring that into the into the church with us and, and so when we read someone like the apostle paul who, who time and time again is urging the church to live in a manner that's different to the status quo, uh, in his case of the Roman Empire. Um, I, I think that this is one of those areas where, where we've got a lot of, of work to do, where we have, in a sense, succumbed to the status quo or, or been content with the status quo, when in fact, uh, the, the, the promises that God has for his people are, are, are much better than what we see around us. Can you give some examples of that? Can you give some examples of, you know, like you just said, the, the, uh, the racialized society, even, even in your book, you, uh, you talk about being discipled by race. Yeah. So can yeah. you give some examples of that? Yeah. And when I, when I talk about this being discipled by race, I, I just, I just simply mean that we are being formed, right? That there yeah. are, there are narratives and structures and assumptions in our culture at large that, that form us uh, as, as Christian people, whether we're aware of it or not. And, and so I, I think that uh, these things are happening to us all the time, but we're, we're not aware of them. And this is what makes it difficult, right? Um, the, 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 the racial discipleship is one that just kind of operates a little bit below the surface where we're just so accustomed to it that it's hard, hard to call it out. There's a, a great uh, author um, and lawyer named Brian Stevenson who works down in Alabama. He, he founded the Equal Justice Initiative, and he describes this a dynamic as the narrative of um, of racial difference or the narrative of the racial hierarchy. And he says, we've just told certain stories in this country about, you know, who, who is worthy of having access to more uh, and who is going to have less and who fits where on this racial hierarchy. And that narrative kind of weaves its way into all sorts of things like, you know, who is most likely to live near a toxic waste site in this country? Who, who is more likely to die giving, giving birth? Uh, who is going to have far less inherited wealth than, than somebody else? Uh, and all of these things can be tracked racially. And all of them then just kind of get worked into the way that we navigate the world. And, and rather than calling these things out as being, you know, unjust or not aligned with God's desire for, uh, for image bearers of God, we, we just kind of take them in and we say, well, this is just kind of how, how things are. And on some deep level, there can still be these, these racialized assumptions that depending on where you are on this racial hierarchy, white is towards the top, black is towards the bottom, that, that it's just natural that you are going to, to experience some of, these, some of these things in life. I think about our public school system here in, in, in Chicago, uh, which is um, largely funded by property taxes, which means that a, a child born into a wealthier zip code is going to have access to a higher quality education. And the way that poverty and race track in this country means that the likelihood of, of attending a underperforming underfunded school is much more, much more likely uh, if you are a, a child of color and particularly an African-American uh, young person. So these are the sorts of things that are kind of swirling around us all the time. Yeah. And those of us who are white have not necessarily had to have to think critically about them. And unfortunately, those of us who are Christians, we've not necessarily had discipleship experiences, which have invited us to think about these things or to identify these things and to ask ourselves whether or not this racialized status quo uh, lines up 
with God's desire for us, lines up with the kingdom that Jesus came uh, to, to, to bring near, or whether it's opposed to it. And so, so many of us who are, who are both white and Christian, we've kind of just been left content in the way things are, rather than being equipped and discipled to move uh, in, a, in a different direction. Yeah. I think the exa- one of the examples also that you, gave it, that you gave in the book is even just the, maybe the mindset of, you know, I got, I got to where I am because of yeah. the decisions that, I, that I've made, you know, right. and, if, and if everybody would make similar decisions, work hard, their outcomes would be the same as well. That's right. And not considering, uh, you know, race and, and things like that. Is right. that, that, that's an example of that. I think well. that's, yeah, I, I remember being at a pastor's conference on the West Coast a couple of years ago and talking about some of this and a couple of pastors came up to me and they said, well, you know, when, when my ancestors came to this country, and these were, these were two white pastors, when my ancestors came to this country, they came from some countries in Eastern Europe where they had faced great oppression. And, and, and what they were trying to say was, look, look, my people faced oppression as well. And look where I am today. Um, of course, the difference is that their, those ancestors had you know, children and then grandchildren and great-grandchildren who could assimilate to uh, the dominant culture, right? Could, could yeah. access the kind of American dream and didn't face opposition because of their race. We all face opposition, right? Everybody suffers in this life. Uh, it doesn't matter what your race or ethnicity is. The difference is that in the case of those two pastors, their children and grandchildren are not going to face struggle or suffering because of their race in the same way that people of color would in a racialized society that that has this 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 racial hierarchy that we we continue to to leave uh, undisturbed yeah your example there of those pastors that came to you as i was reading your book i I wondered what kind of pushback you've received uh what what would you say to the person maybe that, that hears what you're, you're saying, listens to the podcast, reads the book and says, but David, I, I don't have a problem with race. I don't even, you know, I, you hear a lot of people, I don't even see color. Right, exactly, <laughs> what would, exactly. What, how would you respond to that? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to have those conversations. I, what I don't like is when people just shut down, right? Like yeah, uh, yeah, that, yeah. that's the worst thing, right? So, hey, agree with me, let's have a conversation. Let's get into it, that's okay. Uh, I think a lot of us who are white feel like, man, I can't even talk about this stuff because if I say one wrong thing, then I'm going to be labeled a racist and that's the worst possible thing to be called. So I, I want us as, as Christians to model that, you know, we can have these conversations. We can talk about difficult things because we are so uh, utterly dependent on the grace of Jesus uh, for, for everything. And so we can wade into even some of these murky waters uh, together. But I would, I would urge uh, the, the, the person who has some of those instincts, right? Maybe they're a little defensive or, or they're a little, there's a little bit of pushback. I would say, um, have you heard from your, your family members in Christ about this? H- have you been in, 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 in relationships with Christians of color uh, who have experienced some of this stuff? Um, and have you heard their testimonies? H- have you been able to walk a little bit in their shoes to get a sense of what it has felt like for them? See, this is the, the really devastating thing that racial segregation does to, to, to the church, is that we are not in lived relationships with our these brothers and sisters. We, we oftentimes spend more time with white people who might not be Christians than with Christians of color, people who share our, our faith in, in, in Jesus. And, and so I, I think that would be where I would want folks to start is by sort of being reflective enough to ask how much of my opinion here has been shaped by, you know, maybe media 
and how much of it has actually been shaped by lived experience within the body of Christ. And if you're like most white Christians, unfortunately, very little of our experience is informed by those kinds of relationships because we just don't have them. Our, our churches remain too, too segregated for that. So hopefully there can be a bit of a humility there to say, look, I, I'm still not sure I get this. I, I still have some questions, but you know what? This is my family in Christ. The, I, I am called to to mourn with them, to rejoice with them, to live out this, this unity that Jesus has given us. So I'm going to be humble enough and curious enough to be open to, to maybe hearing what I, I've not experienced before or that I've not, that, that I've not heard before. There's all sorts of intellectual things we can get into, right? Like we can talk about privilege and how privilege works and those kinds of things. But I always want to locate this for those of us who are Christians within the body of Christ. That's where we start. Uh, we have commitments to one another because of, of, of what Jesus has done for us. Yeah. David, I would love to hear, how did you come to the realization that this was a discipleship issue? Mm -hmm. that, it, that it wasn't something that, hey, I'll just preach a, a series on this and, and it'll be okay in two or three weeks. It, that, right. it, that it was deeper, that people had been formed into this. Yeah. Was that did the lights just come on? Was that a process over time? How did you, how did you see this? You know, I'm sure it was a process over time, but I do remember a particular light bulb experience. And it, I think it had to do with, I was, uh, at the time I was, you know, pastoring our church in, in the neighborhood where our church is. So mostly people of color. I was also coaching some church planters who a couple of them were, were Latino church planters. So they were, they were planting in immigrant communities. And then I would spend time in white churches and I would just realize, man, this is just two completely different worlds. Hmm. And what I was finding, I mean, you, you know, as well as I do, like the political rhetoric over the past four years has just been through the roof, right? I mean, it's yeah. been so charged and so much emotion around it. And I would step into these in these majority white Christian spaces and find very little interest in how, again, to go back to this language, sisters and brothers of color were experiencing this same the same moment. And I would try to have conversations with quite white Christians about this, and there was just very very little interest. And more and more, I felt like, man, it seems like many of us have more in common with just people who share our race rather than those who, who share the very basic fundamentals of our of our faith. Uh, and then I had this thought, okay, but you know what, these, these, these white Christians who I love, they're going to church every Sunday, they're in ministry, they're doing, they're, they're, they're serving the Lord together, and yet their discipleship does not seem to be leading them into deeper solidarity with the rest of the body of Christ. It mm -hmm. seems to be leaving these, this racial segregation unchallenged. And I, I wanted to try to understand that. I wanted to try to get that because you're right. This is not about just preaching a couple of sermons. This is certainly not about like, you know, going deep into one partisan ideology uh, over another. I really started to wonder like, what would a different kind of discipleship look like? What would it look like if we actually accounted for this racial discipleship that has led to our segregation? What if we saw that as a threat to the unity of the body of Christ and our witness to the, to the resurrected Christ? And, and instead then started to, to reimagine how we're, how we're discipling folks so that over time we're leading uh, uh, people deeper into the reconciled kingdom of God. Yeah. How, how long were you in your church, your current church, uh, when, you, when that happened? Uh, probably about six years, I would say. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was in a, a different multiracial church for a couple of years before that, that who had sent us out to, to plant this church. Yeah. 
And we'll talk more, we'll talk in just a little bit about, you know, some practices at your church and, and that sort of thing. But when that happened, did you, did, did the way you approached ministry, discipleship, was there a sudden shift? Did you begin to talk to your staff and team different? What, what changed in the way that you did things from that moment? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so this is the, the kind of weird thing for me writing this book because I've not been in majority white settings for over 10 years now. Mm. You know, I'm writing this church because I care deeply about those, those white congregations and white ministries, but it hasn't been my experience for over, I guess, 12 or 13 years now. Um, and, and so it's in, in our own context, we think about discipleship a lot. We think about spiritual formation a lot. However, in our case, it really has more to do with what does it look like for us to live into this reconciled identity? We have a third of the church is African-American, a third of the church is Asian-American, a third of the church is white, we've got a handful of Latino folks. So how are we discipling the congregation to live into this identity? We're not interested in just like, oh, Sunday morning looks nice, there's this cool diversity, isn't that great? No, we, we, we want to live deeply into this so that there's a mutual submission as we read about in, in Ephesians so that there's this, you know, lived experience, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. So I, I think I've been thinking about formation in terms of, of race and reconciliation for a while. The challenge was how to apply that in settings that are mostly racially the same, that are, are, are for the most part you know, uh, homogenous in their racial makeup. And that felt like the real challenge of this book. And uh, I, I looked to see if someone else had, had written the book so I could just recommend their book and, you know, couldn't, <laughs> couldn't find that out there. Um, because here's the thing, I mean, over the years, I've had so many white pastors say, hey, we love multiracial church, love what you all are doing, but, you know, my town is mostly white or my suburb is mostly white, so we can't really do that. Uh, that here we can't really, you know, participate in the, in this ministry of reconciliation, and I just think that that's not that's not that's not okay for for the mm -hmm. church that we're called to re to be ambassadors of of reconciliation, and so when we start to think about discipleship, then we realize okay, this is not something for over there. This is for us. This is our responsibility, and we get to participate in this right where we are. Yeah, you know, one of the things that. You, you, hear, you, you hear people talk about right now and the, the moment that we're in, you hear a lot of talk about systemic racism mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the response from, it seems many Christians has been pushback against yeah. that, um, yeah. that there's no such thing. There, there's no possibility that that's uh, a reality. Uh, what do you think that reveals about our discipleship? Yeah, yeah. I, I think two things. One, I think that we have been, in the same way we've been, we've been discipled by race, we've been discipled by partisan politics. And so for many of us, when we're introduced to this conversation, because our churches have not done discipleship around this, what we immediately revert to is, is a kind of partisan ideology. And so if you are on one side of that partisan spectrum, then anything about systemic racism is, you know, that's Marxism, that's anti-America, right? So I think that's in the mix. And as much as I don't like that, I understand that. I think to some extent it reveals that our churches have not done our discipleship work around this, this area. But then there's something that's a little deeper for me, which is just how, how, how steeped in individualism 
uh, most of us are culturally and, and, and white culture in particular. It's very hard uh, for us to read scripture and not default to that individualistic lens. And yet uh, so much of scripture is written to a people and has uh, expectations of, of, of a people and a community. And so I think this is one of the places where our discipleship needs to be kind of uh, real directed is helping us understand that yes we are individuals and yes god loves us as individuals and we have been saved into the people of god we have not just been saved from something we are saved into this new community into a, a holy temple as, as peter says and we will be this people of god and bear witness on earth but also to the principalities and the powers of the of the significance of christ's resurrection and lordship but man, that's a tough one for those of us so deeply steeped in individualism. So then any language about something systemic feels like, well, hey, then you're saying that nobody has, has a personal responsibility for this. You know, you're, you're just saying that, that we don't have our own agency in some of these things. And of course, that's not, that's not the case. It's just that if we're actually going to take seriously the, 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 the extent of the sinfulness of race, we have to, we have to pay attention to how, how, how that has kind of worked its way into our society and the structures of our society. And there's nothing surprising about that, right? Who, who, who built the structures in our society? Sinful people. Yeah. And so, of course, sin has, has worked its way into the systems and structures of, uh, of our world. Uh, and it so happens that we have a savior whose, whose salvation is big enough to address, you know, even, even those systemic sins. So I don't think we have to be afraid of it. It does help to understand, like you, like you bring up, why we might initially struggle with it. But once we get our heads around that, I think, okay, as Christian people, we can go there. Uh, Jesus is big enough for this. And, um, and the gospel that we proclaim becomes just that much more powerful. Yeah. So what do you think are some things that need to change so that we can go there, so that we can begin to wrap our, our heads, even our churches around this, this, I, this idea, you know, that sin, it, even sin isn't just individual. It's, you know, there's corporate implications and, and things like yeah. that. What are some ways that we can begin to do that? Well, I'm a Bible guy through and through, and I just think we just keep going to Scripture for you know example after example of of, of yeah. how this works. I think good 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 biblical teaching around this, good good solid theology, will help us um, significantly here. And those of us who are in positions to to preach, to teach, to lead, one of the things that we can do is realize that even if we are, are studying the text and realizing, yes, this is addressed to the community or this has implications for the, the community, when we preach it, our, our people are still very likely to just hear it through that individual lens. Um, because again, that's the air that we're breathing. And so we need to remember that, that we probably are going to have to be pretty precise, pretty direct, pretty blunt about, mm. about some of this stuff. Let's not assume that it's, it's so easily understood. Uh, there, there are good reasons why it's, why it's not. I, I, I love kind of lifting up particular stories from the scripture to show how this can work and what it looks like. Nehemiah is for me, one of my, my favorite examples, um, who as an individual, right, takes responsibility when he hears that the walls in Jerusalem have crumbled, that his people are suffering, but he places himself within this communal story. He, he repents and asks for forgiveness, even though he wasn't there when those sins, you know, back in Jerusalem were committed, right? He still places himself within, within that larger story of, of repentance and lament, 
but then he's not stopped by that, right? He, his lament leads to worship and it leads to, to, to participation in God's plan to, uh, to, to renew that, that city. So I think when we lift up particular stories like that, it can help those of us who are so steeped in individualism to see, okay, this is not about me losing my individualness, um, but rather as the person God has created me to be participating in a, in, in a larger community story. Yeah. You know, one of the, you talk about, uh, you know, you, theology and, and things like that. One of the theological concepts you, you refer to over and over in the book, you talk about the kingdom of God. Yeah. And what is it about the kingdom that can help us in this area and grow and, and move towards solidarity? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I just think Jesus meant it. <laughs> I think I think when Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God, he really meant that thing. Yeah. And it, it it's uh, for me, it can kind of be summarized in in the Lord's prayer, right? Where Jesus is teaching his disciples to to ask God that the will of God, as it's being done in heaven, would be expressed on earth as well. And and that's where we see the kingdom. The the, the kingdom is where God's righteous will is being accomplished uh, to its righteous ends. And we know that wherever, you know, God in heaven is, that's happening. But the promise of, of Jesus's life and death and resurrection is that it's now breaking into our world right now as well. Um, this is the end of our discipleship. Uh, this is the thing that is meant to capture our imaginations and orient us in a world that still sins and is still rebelling. We have the promise that the kingdom of God is broken in like a mustard seed, like yeast, and it's growing here among us. And, 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 and so our discipleship is meant to, to, to point us there. Racial discipleship, other secular discipleships, th th those things are going to point us somewhere else to a different end. So, so the kingdom becomes very important because A, it is near, Jesus has brought it near, and B, because it provides this, this beautiful vision for us to orient our lives corporately toward um, in a way that doesn't detach us from the concerns of our neighbors, that doesn't detach us from what's actually happening in our world, but doesn't, but doesn't allow us to be overcome or, or consumed by them um, either. And we could go on and on about this, but I do think that uh, that Jesus is teaching about the kingdom is, is, is really important for our discipleship um, in, in, in that we're not simply, uh, we're not thinking about discipleship simply as uh, getting it right or uh, keeping the religious rules, right? Or uh, a behavior modification, a sin modification. No, uh, when Jesus lived, died and resurrected, the world fundamentally changed. Um, and, and God's plan to, to redeem and restore and renew all things uh, did move forward in that. And, and, and part of that is that we get to participate in, in the life of the kingdom right now. Yeah. And so with that in mind, can you, can you talk about uh, what, what's the difference between, as you put it in your book, cheap diversity and mm. solidarity? Yeah, yeah. What's the, what, what's the difference? Cheap diversity, very simply, is uh, adding a little bit of diversity to your uh, previously racially homogenous space yeah. and calling it reconciliation. And uh, I, you know, I say this as a as a pastor of a multiracial church, and we wrestle with this all the time, right? Because we are intentionally diverse for the sake of the gospel. And I know how easy it is to you know, uh, to, to have a kind of surface level diversity that isn't actually addressing the underlying causes of injustice that are inflicting 
suffering, pain, marginalization upon my sisters and brothers in Christ. So this is, this is what we see way, way too much of these days. And we see it mostly in multiracial churches like mine, but we also see it in majority white churches that are, are waking up and they're saying, wow, we, we realize that this segregation that we've experienced is not neutral. Uh, and the instinct time and time again is we need to become more diverse. And so these white churches do, you know, make some moves, uh, make, some, make some plans and begin to welcome uh, uh, people who, are, who are, are not white, people of color into the church and, 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 and it works. People of color start to come. They, they, they love this vision of, of biblical reconciliation. They want to be a part of that. Um, but then time and time again, what I hear from folks is that there'll be some kind of public instance of, of racial injustice that happens. And the church doesn't say anything about it. The pastor doesn't pray about it. It doesn't, there's, there's no consolation offered, right? There's no pastoral care that's offered. And the, and the people of color in, who have started Sister and Brother in Christ become my priorities and concerns as well. And so that I want to join them in those places of, of injustice uh, so that the gospel can be, can be proclaimed and demonstrated in, in those areas as well. And, and, and sorry, that's a long answer to your question, but- no, it's good. The, the great thing for me about, about this vision of solidarity rather than starting with diversity is that it's available to all of us, right? Like you don't have to live in a very diverse area. Your church doesn't have to be racially diverse. All of our congregations right now be, can begin this, this discipleship journey toward, toward solidarity. Yeah. And I would love to, to, hear, uh, to hear you comment about that. You, you set that up perfectly because I was, you know, thinking about church leaders who might be watching this or hearing this and say, well, well David, my, the area that I serve in is not very diverse. So right. what do I do? How, how would I even get started? So what would you, what would you say to that, that church or church leader that might be thinking, oh, well, this doesn't apply to me because of the lack mm -hmm. of diversity? Yep. Yep. So again, I, I want to point everybody back to this question of, why is it that we were so content with the racialized status quo for so long? That's, a, that's the discipleship issue for me, right? Like what was it about our discipleship that left us content with cultural systems and assumptions that have done so much damage to other members of the body of Christ? So we need a new discipleship period, right? If our old discipleship led to that, we need something different. We need something that is more biblically robust, more theologically true, and that is going to lead us uh, in, in a different direction. So that's, the, that's the, the, the element that I would want white pastors to focus on. Don't start by looking at diversity. That's our instinct. Now we can get there. Start with discipleship. Start by, by honestly looking back and saying, so, so what weren't we doing? that left us content with this status quo? What weren't we saying? What weren't we practicing together that, that led us to, to, to this point, along with you know, so many other white churches around this country? Now, what could we begin to do different? I don't think we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think the discipleship practices that are ministry evangelism, unleashing more of the latent potential in those practices to form us in a, in a different direction. So again, I, I want to caution people who are, are waking up to the reality of racial injustice. Don't start with diversity. Start with discipleship. Be reflective. Start to pray and imagine what could look different moving forward. And then then maybe we start talking about, about racial and ethnic diversity. It might start by partnering with somebody. Maybe God starts to lead uh, you know, diverse peoples to, to your congregation. 
But if we haven't done the discipleship work first, then it's going to be another one of those cheap diversity experiences. Yeah. So is it, so is it examining the discipleship that we've had? How has, how has the discipleship maybe, maybe been more uh, individualistic than we might've realized? Maybe we, we've, we haven't really spoken against, you know, issues of, you know, systemic racism. things Right. Right. And and, right. Intentionally or unintentionally. Right. Just, this is where we, I mean, think about it this way. Like if, if a church, if, 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 90% 90% of the marriages in any given church were ending in divorce within like one or two years. That church would say, we could probably do something different here. Maybe there's something in our discipleship that could be a little different to be nurturing these marriages and, and helping them to be sustained, right? So again, I think we do this already. We've just not applied it to this, to this issue of race. So yeah, that's right. Kind of a, a critical reflection. What have we missed? And then it's the, the kind of Holy Spirit uh, informed creativity moving forward. What could we do different uh, that's going to lead, lead us somewhere different? Yeah. Can you talk about how maybe you do this at the church that you're serving at? You know, what are some ways that you, you do this, that your team talks about this, you know, that working towards solidarity? How, how are you doing that? Yeah. yeah. So again, you know, we're, we're doing this in the context of, of, a, a, a multiracial church, yeah. but, um, you know, so we do, our, our primary means of adult discipleship happens in small groups as a church, and we do Bible study and, you know, prayer and, and conversation, and, you know, many of your listeners will be familiar with that, that method. That is a, a white way of doing Bible study. That, that is a white way of sort of like focusing on the small community. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's bad, right? It's just, it's not culturally neutral. It, the, 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 the small group movement kind of begins in white churches because of this experience of, of a, a deep individualism where we feel a strong need for community. Why? Because of our individualism. So we, we, we want community and that makes sense. Totally makes sense. So structuring a Bible study in small community is a way of scratching that, that itch. And it's a good and effective way to do it. But what if you are a part of a group that doesn't feel that strong need for community? What if you already feel like you're a part of a community? Well, now this is a, you're asking different questions and you're looking for, for some different experiences, right? But in our multiracial church, we have mostly done uh, small groups. And we have heard from our, our uh, people of color, and particularly African-American people, that, that it's a stretch for them, that it, it doesn't feel like a, a natural way to, to, do, to do some of these uh, discipleship things. So these are the conversations that we have as, as ministry leaders. Okay, so what would we maybe tweak? What would we maybe do something different? And one of the weird gifts of COVID, not being able to meet in person regularly, has allowed us to try some different things and to do some hybrid kinds of of models that we think are going to be more honoring to to everybody in our church. And not just honoring to them, but also calling all of us collectively to participate in 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 a way of being discipled together that's going to broaden our understanding of what it means to be in relationship with each other and to have these relationships of of solid solidarity with each other. So it, it, it means listening well. It means not, you know, not, not getting too committed to any one particular method, uh, ministry method over time, not, not having too many sacred cows, um, but also maintaining a hope that, um, that as we listen, uh, as we're open to the, to the Spirit's creativity, there, there will be some next steps that reveal themselves 
to, to the church. Yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, you do in your book over and over, you use the word practice. You've got uh, the, the biggest section of the book it offers some practices for right. how to move towards solidarity. Uh, I would say a lot of churches are used to the word program, yep. not practice. Right. Uh, why did you pick that word? What is it about the word practice that can help us to move towards uh, solidarity? Yeah, I was thinking about how to describe discipleship that happens together. Oftentimes, when, when our white churches are thinking about discipleship, we do think in terms of programs. And often we think of a kind of one-on-one uh, discipleship experience. And again, nothing wrong with that. But what the, I would say the, the church as a whole over time and place has discerned is that there are these corporate things we do together. And some of our settings would use the language of liturgy. Um, I use the language of this discipleship practice. One, they're discipleship in nature, but they're corporate. We do them together. And it's a kind of practice, right? It's, it's doing similar things over the course of time such that our habits get changed. If I'm learning to play an instrument, the more I practice it, the more habitual it becomes. We, we, we know this and understand this. And so the idea of, of these corporate discipleship practices, and again, nothing new about this idea. This is what our churches do every Sunday, is that as we do these things together, new godly habits are, are, are um, find footing in our lives. And these habits now start orienting us towards, towards that reconciled kingdom of God. So I didn't want anybody to pick up the book and feel like, man, I got to stop doing everything. I got to start, you know, it's just, I don't, I don't want that. Yeah. Uh, I wanted instead people to look at it and say, okay, we, we, we have some stuff to work with already in, in, our, in our setting. Uh, we can make some changes. We can, we can maybe dream a little bit here, but we've got the framework in place. Yeah. And that, and that, it's, that it's an ongoing work, right? Yes. One of the things yes. that, that you've said over and over and, and really hitting your book, you've already said it. This is not going to be a program. This is not going to be three weekends, and we've got this. We've got this work done. Solidarity is, is a we're we're going to continually work on it until the kingdom fully comes. That's right. That's right. And and like, of course we are. And that's going to be true not just in this area, but in all kinds of areas where our world is pulling us in a different direction. Right. I don't get to just stand in front of the church and preach a couple sermons about that. I mean, wouldn't that be great, right? But no, that's just not, that's not how our humanity works, right? That, that's not what it means to be a, a human. We are susceptible to the stories and the lies that our, 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 our world tells about us. And so we, we need this discipleship to work itself into our, our system over the course of our, our lives. Yeah. David, it's been, it's been so good uh, talking to you. I, I want to honor your time, but uh, uh, one more question before we wrap up our time together today. When you look at the church, uh, where it is in the world right now, what discourages you? And what encourages you? Yeah, I mean, you and I are recording this at the end of November, and and uh, you know, most folks will remember that this summer it was it was hard to not be aware of the struggle for racial justice, and so many churches were, you know, white churches were were starting to ask questions and were, you know, kind of leaning into this conversation, and and that was encouraging. And I I heard from. Uh, from friends and leaders of color in the church that this was a first, that they had never seen so many white Christians speaking out 
and, and showing an interest. So I, I think that's that's worth paying attention to, and and hopefully that that continues. Um, I think my discouragement comes when um, when I realize just how little of a biblical imagination most of us who are white and Christian have for this work. I think I think I feel I, I feel a sense of sadness about that because it's not it wasn't inevitable, and there are frankly plenty of Christians in this country who do have that biblical imagination, right? Uh, the many African American churches in this country, for example, have a long history of holding together the 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 the, the gospel proclaimed and justice pursued, and these just kind of hand in glove what it means to to follow Jesus. So I, as I think about sort of what's in front of us right now, and as churches are stepping into this, um, I, I hope that we are not doing this in a vacuum. I hope that we are reaching out to those sisters and brothers who have generations under their belt of doing this work faithfully as the people of God. There are spiritual resources that are available to us that we just are kind of ignorant of, that we've not experienced ourselves uh, and we've not seen modeled. So I don't know if that's a, a, a discouragement, but I feel some sadness there. And, and my, my exhortation would be, don't try to do this alone. Get connected and networked with other, with other churches, with other pastors and leaders who do have a vision for this. Learn from them. Allow your own imagination to be shaped by those relationships so that you, you're doing this work um, not in isolation, but, but kind of self-consciously as, as a member of the diverse body of Christ. Yeah. Man, well, David, thank you so much for, for your time today. Uh, it's been an honor to talk to you. Now, David, for our listeners who would want to connect with you uh, more after this, where can they find you online? Yeah, I have a website. It's just dwswanson.com and all the other things linked right, right from there. Okay. And we'll have all those links in the show notes as well as uh, links for where people can pick up the book as well. David, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It's been great. You're welcome. This was an honor. Thank you for having me. I love how David roots this entire discussion in discipleship, how we have been shaped by structures and assumptions and, and narratives, and we might not even realize it, but the entire time we've been discipled into certain kinds of people. I would love to know what you think about today's episode. I'd love to know what your thoughts are after listening to today's conversation, and you can connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All the links are in the show notes, as well as in the show notes, you're going to find links to David's book, Rediscipling the White Church, his website, how you can connect with him on social media. So make sure you check out the show notes of today's episode. Next week is Christmas. And so we've got a special Christmas episode for you on the Churchology Podcast. Next week, we're talking to author and pastor and speaker, Russ Ramsey about his book, The Advent of the Lamb of God. And so it's a Christmas episode next week. And it'll come out next Tuesday. Every Tuesday, a new episode of the Churchology Podcast comes out. So if you haven't hit the subscribe button, don't wait. Just go ahead and do it right now. And also, if you've got a couple of minutes, uh, leave us a rating and review. That just helps more people find the podcast and makes it easier for people to jump on board uh, with what we're doing here at the Churchology Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. We will see you next week on the next episode of the Churchology Podcast.